0: Praise the Lord. Amen. Someday he will come. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to 2nd Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles chapter 15. You know, when I was a young person, I heard that a lot of people don't like the Chronicles. And I never understood that. I thought 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles were some of the best books in the Bible. They're all, they're all full of the stories in the history of of God's working in, in the lives of of uh, His people, and I just I've always enjoyed uh, Samuel and Kings and and Chronicles, uh, Judges, and I mean some of those books that that people say are boring. I I mean these are where the stories are. I don't know why people find them boring, but I always enjoy them, and so I always get a little nervous when I. Reading from the Chronicles, or one of these, and and because uh, I remember people talking about how boring these are, and I uh, man, I don't want to put you to sleep before I ever start. You know, you gotta let me do, let me put you to sleep, not let let the Chronicles do it. This uh, morning we're starting a new series. It's uh, we're going to study the life of King Asa. King Asa. I'm not sure how long this series is going to, to be. I have, um, I'm not sure how it, we're gonna how things are all gonna be broken up. I don't even know if I'm gonna get through this morning's message. Man, it's gonna be close. Um, we're gonna try. One of the things that I appreciate about God's word is that it's heroes. Are real. God does not sugarcoat His heroes, and uh, Asa lives a life of commitment, and that's that's what our series is on. This is on a, a, being fully committed, being fully committed. However, Asa ends poorly. He ends poorly. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning is I want to look at the end of his life before we get into um, how he did well. So we will look how he did well, hopefully starting next week, and, and some of the principles of living a life that's fully committed. But this morning, we're going to look at his final failure. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Second Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to be jumping around. I will try to uh, in fact, we're even going to get into chapter 16. Um, so we're going to be jumping around a little bit. I'll try to, I'll try to uh, guide you through that. 2 Chronicles 15, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye, me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without true God, without a teaching priest, without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord and was before the porch of the Lord. Let's uh, jump down to verse 12. Verse 12, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their hearts and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Uh, Let's get down to verse 16. Verse 16, And also concerning uh, Ma'aka, The mother of Asa, the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and vessels. And now I want to jump down to chapter 16, and we're going to go down to verse 7. Verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubams a huge host, with many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Therein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. And he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. And behold, the acts of Asa king, er, first and last. Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the 30th and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in the bed. And he was filled with sweet odors and diverse kinds of spices prepared by the apocryphicary's art. And they made a great burning for him. Father, help us this morning. Touch our minds, but more than that, touch our hearts. Father, may we hear the words of God. May we hear the words of Hannah and I, the seer. May, Lord, uh, we not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Are you committed? You know, we're not very good at commitment anymore. Commitment's kind of been something that has been lost. There was a time when, in our country, when divorce was pretty much unheard of. In the 60s, or early 60s, the divorce rate was about 8%. Now they're telling us it's about 42 to 45%. We're not very good at commitment. Divorce rate has actually dropped from the 70s, but it's believed that that's perhaps because people are just not marrying. They're just living together. And I know what the the older people would like to say, these young people. But you know, research has found that the older people make up Uh, 50 and above make up 23% of cohabitating couples. It's not just a young people problem. I'm not saying you're old if you're 50. I'm getting too close. (laughs) But I'm just trying to help us to understand that it's not just a problem with the younger generation. It's every generation right now is struggling with commitment. Member, places that require membership, country clubs and, and the like, are struggling to find members. Our conservative holiness denominations are struggling because people do not want to become members of the denomination anymore. Commitment is something that has been lost. I'm not sure exactly how it happened not sure altogether that we can blame any one thing for it. I think probably part of it has happened because of the change in our family dynamics. When feminism became so powerful and and such a loud voice, then women felt liberated to have divorce, and we became a no-fault divorce society. And what research shows us is that children of parents who have divorced are more likely to divorce themselves. And maybe that was the beginning, I don't know. In America, 43% of children do not have a father who's involved in their life. Not that he's not living in the home. Not that it's just divorce. I'm saying the father has skipped out on his responsibility to be involved in his child's life. 43% of our children in our our country do not have a dad who cares about them. That's powerful. And I know we live in a culture where moms are the most likely to get the children. In the case of a divorce, I know that moms have become the main uh, uh, parent in so many ways, but we're... The more research that's being done, we're finding that when dads are absent, children are more likely to become criminals. Children are more likely to have anger issues. Children are more likely to to, uh, struggle in their relationships, and they're more likely to have divorces, and more likely to not be involved in their own kids' life. We're just not very good at commitment these days. In the church world, it's struck us hard. People are leaving the church in droves. As I understand it, between 19 and 30 year olds, only 17% are attending church once a week. 17%. It's concerning, isn't it? That we've lost our ability to commit to anything. We can't commit to our spouses, we cannot commit to our children, and we can't commit to our church. And when those things happen, we certainly can't commit to God. We have a commitment problem. The church is struggling, not just because people aren't coming, but those that do come have become what we call consumerist what that means is that they haven't become a part of the church it means that they're they're coming to shop church they're in it for what they get out of it you know that one of the things one of the statements that is being uh, thrown around so often today that didn't used to be ever heard was i'm just not getting fed in church i'm just not getting fed folks let me just say it's not the purpose of church, for you to get fed. You're supposed to be fed in your personal devotions, and your meditation time. You're supposed to be getting spiritually fed every single day at home. Church is not for the purpose of feeding you. That's not my job. That's not the song leader's job. That's not uh, Brother Vaughn's job as he's leading a special or whoever else might be singing the special. The job of the church isn't to feed you spiritually. The job of the church is to, to build relationships, and it's to help us to grow, and it's to help us to reach out into our communities, and it's for help us to pool our resources to help others. Our job is not to feed you spiritually. That should be happening at home. But personal devotions have... Fallen apart because, again, we can't be committed to very many things because we don't know how to be committed. And so we come to church and expecting the church to feed us spiritually, expecting the pastor to feed us spiritually. And, folks, I can't prepare a feast good enough to hold you a whole week. I don't have that ability. Maybe there's some preachers who can, but I can't. It comes down to our own commitment. It comes down to our own commitment. Asa, King Asa, is fully committed to the Lord. And we're going to talk about some of those things in, in the future, but I want to talk especially about chapter 16. Asa has... He's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble. There's uh, some kings that are that are wanting to cause trouble. And what's he do? He makes a league. He makes a league. He makes a, a, a contract. He makes a treaty for help with those whom God had said don't have a treaty. And what I want to share with you this this. This morning, as the Lord would help us, and I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can, but I want to help us to understand what will cost us our commitment to the Lord. Because I believe everyone here, under the sound of my voice, wants to be committed to God. I believe perhaps, probably all of you believe you are committed to the Lord. But I want to help us to understand before we even get into a study and being committed to the Lord, I first want us to understand how Satan is going to try to undermine that in our lives. And the first thing that we notice is that Asa rejected God's rule. He rejected God's rule. He thought that Asa was king, not Jehovah. Now, Asa was king of Judah. He sat on the throne. He had a crown on his head. He was king of, of Judah. But, but folks, I, the danger for us, each one of us, is to believe that we are the king of our own kingdom. The, house, the home is a man's castle. And it should be. It should also be a woman's <laughs> castle. She should be queen, and he should be king in the home. I understand that. I understand that that God gave us a natural desire to have dominion. In fact, he gave to Adam and Eve dominion of the garden. In dominion, we get the word dominate. To be able to subdue it, to put it under their control. The Garden of Eden was supposed to be expanded. It, the borders that around the Garden of Eden were, were supposed to be pushed out. That, that beyond the garden, there was, there was land that needed to be cultivated. There was land that needed to be, have water brought to it. It needed to be irrigated. They needed to plant trees. There was work to be done outside of the boundaries of the garden. And God gave within the heart of men and women... A desire to have dominion and to rule. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's a God-given thing. But here's where it gets in trouble is when we begin to think that we're in charge. That we are the ones that that are upper management. Folks, we're in middle management. Yes, God had gave Adam and Eve the, the responsibility of, of having dominion over the garden, of expanding its boundaries, but they were still answerable to God. And when they were tempted to eat of the forbidden fruit, what did Satan say? He, in, in, uh, in, in not so many words, he basically says, you want to move from middle management to the top of the, of the ladder? Eat this fruit. Become like God. And one of the surest ways to undermine your commitment to the Lord is to place yourself as ruler of your dominion. You know, one of the things that that amazes me is, is sometimes you're not going to believe this, but I have children that will argue with me. And I just, sometimes, sometimes I'll just, I'll I'll try to explain to them why their viewpoint isn't right and try to, you know, just try to help them through the process. Because I want my children to be good thinkers. I don't want them to just do, be robots. I like... I mean, it sounds nice if they would just do what I want without thinking about it, but what happens when it's someone else that's telling them and who might be telling them the wrong thing? So I'm trying to teach my children to be thinkers. I want them to think. And so I'll try to explain, and they'll argue that I'm wrong and they're right. And sometimes after I've tried and I've done everything I know and I've come to the limit of my ability to explain... I finally say to them, you're going to have to trust my many more years than you have, my much more experience than you have, my much more education than you have, that all of these things point to you're going to have to just trust that I'm right, even if I cannot convince you otherwise. I think that frustrates them. Because they don't want to just trust me. They want to know for themselves. But there comes a point when that just has the way it is. Sometimes I think it is just that they're just so stubborn that they're not listening to reason. But maybe it isn't that. Maybe I'm just not explaining it well. But folks, those of you that are parents, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. But here's where it gets scary: is when we do that with God, and we tell God, "You know, we know better than you do." And you know what? We, man, I wish that we wouldn't fall for this, but we do. We'll argue with God. God, why are you allowing this? Why are you? Why are you making me do this? Why this? Oh, yeah, 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 and just on and on and on. We have these these conversations with God that, Lord, convince me that you're right. But you know what? The Lord is older than we are. In fact, He's ageless. He's wiser than us. In fact, the Bible says He is wisdom. God has much more experience than we do He's watched the whole world. He's seen every person that's ever lived. He has all the experiences of every person who's ever lived. If ever there was a person to just be quiet and trust, it is him. But like a child who's just not convinced, we tell God, make me understand. And sometimes God helps us, and sometimes God just says, you know what, you just have to trust me. But you know what, Asa couldn't do that. Asa saw the enemy. He saw their power. He saw their chariots, their horses. He saw all that they had. And you know what he does? He said, I can handle it myself. I can do it my way. I will make the decisions. One of the most scary things that you can say is, I will decide. You know what that means? It means I'm no longer taking in any new information. I'm not willing to listen to any new uh, uh, facts. I'm no longer teachable. I have made my decision, and it's very scary when we get to that place. Now, I understand there's a time to make a decision, but we better we better have come to the place where when we make those decisions, especially when there are important ones, that we know what God wants and that we've taken as much possible information as we can. I can do it my way. You know, the real danger, I believe, for us as Christians isn't, isn't that we reject God's kingship altogether. It's that we reject His kingship in little pockets, little areas. See, King Asa didn't reject the, the, the Lord's kingship over which idols could be in the, in the kingdom. He'd gotten rid of those. he torn down the poles of Asheroth. He, 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 he'd gotten rid of those. He, he allowed God to be God of, of, of who was worshiped. He, he didn't say, you know, we're going to throw God's word out. We're no longer going to be reading the, uh, the law anymore. We're, we're, we're going to get rid of that. He didn't do that. He didn't say, let's be done with the priest of God and let's go get the priest of Baal and Asheroth. He didn't do that. He chose one area, the security of his country, and made it his own. Just one. And you know what we do? We give God 99% a lot of times. God, you can have this and you can have that. You can have this, but but you know what? There's just some things, Lord, you we just we're just we're just not going to accept your kingship over. There's some that have stopped seeking holiness. It's not that maybe you don't believe it, but you stop seeking it. You've, you're not reading any books on it. You're not testifying that you're seeking it. You're not asking people to pray for you to get sanctified. You've made holiness something that's gone on the back burner. And maybe if the preacher will preach on it, maybe you'll come to the altar, but probably not anymore. You've just gone into coast mode when it comes to the thing called holiness. God's the ruler of everything, but holiness, eh. I I, I just don't see the the need of actively pursuing it anymore. And so we just kind of let it go on the side. Oh, God, help us to be careful about the areas that we would say, God, you cannot rule this spot. You can't rule this spot. Maybe there's an area, a standard, that God has spoken to you about. And maybe it's not even something the denomination or the pastor ever says anything about. And maybe I don't even follow that thing, but God's spoken to you about it. And God's told you. Pastor does it. Pastor's wife does that. folks we try to be an example of what god wants us to be but god may have special instructions for you because he knows where you trip up we try to live right we try to live holy before you but but folks i'll be honest with you i can't i cannot live a life that is follows every single thing that may or may not affect you. There's too many of you. And each one of you have strengths and weaknesses spiritually. And God's not given me that responsibility. Responsibility is yours. If God has spoken to you about something, and whether I do it or don't do it, Folks, it doesn't matter. And if you feel like I should be doing it, you pray for me. Hopefully, if it is something I should be doing, the Holy Spirit will speak to me about it, and I'll walk in the light of that. Well, folks, when, when did we walk in, in the light go out of style? <laughs> folks, it's got to be 100% if I rule anything that God can't rule, that He can't trump me, He cannot say, Son, no. Or Son, yes. If there's any place that I won't go, if there's any place that I won't serve, if there's any job that's too awful for me to do, and I just tell God I'll do everything but teach Sunday school. I'll do anything but sing a special. Now some of us don't sing specials because it wouldn't be very special. <coughs> but you know what? I've been to a church where the person got up to sing and manned where they hit every wrong note. They didn't I don't think they hit a right note the whole song. But the presence of the Lord was there. And maybe they, maybe they couldn't sing. But God heard it. And God was honored in it. And oh, that God would help us even if we can't carry a tune in the bucket. If, if the Holy Spirit would ask us to humble ourselves and do that, that we'd be willing. I don't believe we could ever say to the Lord, I can't. Because I don't believe he would ever ask us to do something we truly couldn't do. We might not, can't, maybe we can't do it as good as someone else can. We might not be have the same talent as the other person does. But it, truly to not be able to do it, I don't believe God asked his children to do anything that we can't do without his help. If he'd help us, we can do anything he asks us to do. God must be our ruler. And in Asa's heart, he rejected God as ruler. Asa became ruler. Not only did Asa reject God's rule, but he rejected God's representative and i comes this, the seer comes and he stands before king asa he says asa you're not doing right when you were doing well god was with you but if you forsake him god's going to forsake you now asa's great grandfather was king david and he messed up And a prophet by the name of Nathan had to stand before him and say, Thou art the man. And David repented. And while there were consequences, they were much less severe than what they would have been. So Asa had an example from his own history, his own family history. But Asa didn't respond to Hanani the way that David responded to Nathan Instead, he threw Hannah and I in prison. And in his anger and his wrath, he oppressed the people. It's hard for me to preach on your responses to God's representative because that's my role. And even just saying that makes me feel really Tiny. And small, because I, because I realize what a poor poor representative of God I am. But folks, when God's man or woman tries to help us, and we respond with anger, we're in serious trouble. I don't like stepping on people's toes, and I do not like pointing my finger and saying, Thou art the man. In fact, I just soon preach an encouraging message, and there are times when the Lord puts a hard message on my, uh, on my heart, and I'll beg and plead with Him to let me preach something encouraging. I have no pleasure in those kind of messages. I just don't. But your anger at myself or an evangelist or or your Sunday school teacher who's teaching something and you don't like it is not an indication of a failure on their part. It's an indication of rebellion and a lack of commitment to God on your part. Remember what God said to Samuel when, when the people asked for a king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You don't reject me, even if you vote against me this spring. It's not a rejection of me. I mean, it could be if I'm just not doing my job or whatever the case might be. It could be a rejection of me. But if you're voting, if, you're, if your attitude, if you're talking about me behind my back or, or you're, you're having issues with me because you don't like what I'm preaching, you're not rejecting me. It has nothing to do with me. Hen and I didn't deserve to be in prison. He didn't deserve that. He was caring about Asa's soul. And you know the people that try to help us the most are the people we often mistreat the most. Asa, Asa rejected God's representative and said, you know what, I don't want to hear this anymore. And do you know what's happened in the church because this is so popular? is that churches have quit preaching the truth because they want the people to keep coming. And that's why preachers will marry cohabitating couples and why they've embraced the homosexual lifestyle and and why they're embracing uh, divorce and remarriage. and, And on and on and on and on it goes. Well, the church has changed its platform on moral issues is because enough people have said, we reject The church, we reject the preachers who preach that way. Just this week, a friend of mine from high school posted on Facebook about this bishop who was being interviewed, and this is what he had to say. He said, hell was invented by the church to control people. Uh, Didn't Jesus mention something about hell with the rich man and Lazarus? It was no invention of the church. But do you know why she's posting that and why she had so many likes and loves and all those things on her little video? is because the church doesn't want to hear God's representative. They want to hear everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what. And that bishop made a point. He said, I believe in an afterlife, but I believe hell is just a, a, a desire for God's representatives to control God's people. Folks, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to control you if if I did could if I could control you I don't even know what I'd do with you I have enough trouble taking care of myself and it's why I'm very very careful about how I preach and how oftentimes you'll hear me going right through the scriptures because I have no desire to preach thus saith Jeremy I have no desire to control the music you listen to or the programs you watch or, or, or the relationships you have. Now, I have a desire to keep you from hurting yourself and hurting the people you love. I have a desire to, for you to make it to heaven. But I have no desire to control those things in your life. I don't even want to control my children I know that might sound shocking to some, but I don't want to control my children. I want my children to choose to obey God. I want them to choose that for themselves. Because if they are controlled into following God, you know what? It's not going to be real. Serving God is about relationship. It's about personal choice. I have no desire to control you and I don't have a desire to control them. I want each one of us to pursue our own relationship with God and to walk in the light God gives us. And if your light's different than my light, well, thank God for that He knows what we have need of. I have no need to control you. I'm not saying I'm not flawed. I'm not saying that I'm not a poor representative of God. I, Folks... God's so much greater and higher than me, to even call myself a representative of God, would, I would not even dare to do it if it wasn't what God's Word says. I wouldn't even dare to do it because I'm so far from, from where, where I would want to be if I was going to be that. I'm trying. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there, but it seems like it's a long, huge gulf Folks, someone's If someone cares enough about your soul to warn you that the choices you're making are going to hurt you or hurt your children, they might say it the wrong way and they may say it they might fumble it and they might even say it in the wrong spirit, but if they care enough about you to give you a warning, Even if they do it, they could have done it much better. I just implore you, if you're really committed to God, you'll hear the message even if the messenger is a mess. Hear the message even if the messenger is a mess. If God can use a donkey... speak to a man who needed to hear the message. I hope none of us are so stubborn that God has to use a donkey. Asa rejected God's rule, he rejected God's representative, and finally he rejected God's remedy. See, it starts progressing. You start going down, you... First, no longer want God to have control of certain areas. And when God's man or woman is faithful to you, you reject them. And then ultimately what happens? You reject God's remedy for your, your problem. What happened? Asa's, Asa's not listened. God sent discipline. Asa's still not listening. So God says, you know what? We're going to send him a disease of the feet. Now, as I understand it, most, almost every commentator that, that had an opinion on this said that they believed that this was gout. And I've never had gout, and when I read up on it, I want you to know I have decided that that is not a disease I want. I've also found that there are no diseases that I actually do want. But but as I was reading about gout, they said that, that, that it's so painful that you wake up in the n- night with it and that, that even the weight of a sheet is painful and your feet feel like you're burning on fire. That doesn't sound like something that I want to experience. And if gout goes untreated and it gets worse, and, it, and, it, and the scriptures indicate that it kept getting worse, you can get kidney stones. And that is something I never want to experience. I have never heard anyone say, praise the Lord, I have kidney stones. I've heard, praise the Lord, they're gone. But I've never heard anyone get excited about having a kidney stone. Thank the Lord, I have never had one. and I'm praying real good that I don't get one. Can you imagine Asa is 39 years old. He's got or not 39 years old, he's 39 years of being king, so he's, he's older now. But he's, he's got diseased feet, they're on fire, they hurt. They wake him up in the night in pain. And not to be disgusting, but he goes to the bathroom and he's in pain. All he's knowing for the last two years of his life is Pain. And what does he do? He goes to the physicians and he refuses. This is what the Bible author tells us. He says, Asa refused to talk to God about it. Now, folks, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the doctor. I think it makes good sense to go to the doctor if there's something wrong with you. But, folks, to set, for Asa to set his heart I'm not talking to God about it. I will not humble myself enough to tell God I need his help. This seems to be indicated that God was wanting to bring healing. But Asa was too stubborn for God's remedy. He looked for man's remedy. Did you know what? The world's got a lot of remedies for your problems. You got guilt. They've got drugs. They've got alcohol. You feel lonely. They got parties, and they've got they've got all sorts of uh, things. They've got they've got you're lonely. You they, they've got they've got women, and, and they've got all sorts of solutions to your problems. And they and they solve it for an hour or two, and then in the morning your problems are worse than they were before you started. The world has solutions to your problems that just don't work. You know what? The world will tell you you can go to heaven with serving God 95% or 99% in that one area. That one area doesn't matter. The world will tell you that don't worry about it, heaven's for everybody. The world will tell you they've got a solution for your problem. But I want to tell you something. If you seek the world's solution, you'll reap the world's side effects. I believe, I really truly believe, based on that scripture, that God wanted to cure Asa of the disease of his feet. But Asa couldn't humble himself. Because he knew he'd already rejected God's rule in his life. He already rejected God's representative. And now it's easy. It's easy to reject his remedy. I believe this is why sanctification isn't being sought for in our holiness churches like it used to be. We can go years without someone going to the altar saying, I'm seeking to be sanctified. They don't want a remedy for their carnal nature. This is just the way I am, preacher. This is the way God made me. No, it wasn't the way God made you. It's the sin nature rearing itself in your life. I told you at the beginning that God is honest about his men about his heroes, both men and women. Those who started well and ended poorly. The list of those are great. King Saul, Demas, Judas. Many who, Gideon, who started so well but ended so poorly. But I want you to know the Bible also tells us many who started well, messed up, but still finished well. God. Moses, Praise Peter God. John Mark. and I want you to know this morning that if there's areas of your life that you've rejected God's rule, if you've rejected in the past God's representative, I want you to know there's still a remedy. There's still a remedy, but you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to humble yourself and seek it. And oftentimes, when the sin has been in secret, God often requires a public seeking. Not always. Not always, but when the sin has been secret, you say, why would, why would God require that? Because oftentimes those that seek in secret are doing so because they don't want to humble themselves. Seeking in secret is, is important and we should seek in secret, but, but oftentimes before the work can be accomplished, there has to be a public pr- confession. And if we get the work, if God gives us the remedy in secret, he requires a public profession of getting the remedy. It can't remain secret or you'll lose the remedy. There's still a remedy this morning. And oh, that God would help us to renew our commitment to his rule, to his representatives, and to his remedy. Let's stand together. Amen. Brother Rastoson, would you dismiss us in prayer? Pray, God.